Peace be upon you. So there's this fascinating paradox within the design of the human being. In one regards, the human being is incredibly attentive at discerning the slightest amount of injustice, that they can determine it from a mile away. You take the youngest of children, and even before they can adequately communicate, if they are get the slightest sense that they're being treated unjustly compared to their siblings or their peers, they immediately revolt. And this carries on to adulthood, where we see that if something is being treated unfairly or uh, there's a slightest bit of injustice, you know, our spidey senses are kicked up. But the paradox of this is despite our sensitivity towards injustice, we are incredibly terrible at determining what is just. In the other regards, that despite the fact that we can identify injustice, if you ask the person what is the just remedy to resolving this issue, more often than not, they're going to give you an answer that, that in itself is injustice. And I'll give you an example. I was listening to a professor uh, in economics, and he was saying that he's absolutely against changing the scores of any of his students. That it doesn't matter if he made a blatant mistake in grading an exam or a test or anything in that regards. He refuses to change it. Now, you think this is completely harsh. This seems like absolute injustice. He made a mistake. He should own up to it. And his reasoning is genius. He says, look, everyone is going to come and complain when I make a mistake that's against their favor, right? Because I misscored them. I didn't give them enough credit. I uh, misread their, uh, their answer or something in that regard. But he says he never has a student to come and propose the opposite. That, oh, professor, you actually gave me credit for this uh, answer, and I actually gave the wrong answer. And because of that, he says it's going to balance itself out. For everyone that I misgraded in one regards, I'm going to give them too much credit in other regards. And the system works for itself. And that's the thing, is when we identify injustice, typically our remedy is something that's going to be favorable to us. It's going to bias us to make sure we get the upper hand. And that's where the paradox takes place. By being able to fix an injustice does not mean that we get more than we deserve. Now, how do we, how do we remedy this? How do we resolve this paradox within human beings? We did an entire episode around this topic, uh, different methods that God has utilized in the Quran for us to be able to be just. And one of the ones I want to emphasize that it's not the, 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 the best solution, but it's the most efficient solution, is that of I cut, you choose. Now, in an I cut, you choose uh, scenario, what happens, let's say, take a simple example. We have a bowl of ice cream, and me and you want to split it. Now, in one regards, what we could do is go and quantify everything about this bowl of ice cream and make sure that we evenly distribute it. That not only it's the equal amounts in each bowl, but we have the right amounts of chocolates and uh, chips and nuts and whatever else is in this ice cream. Now, that could solve the, uh, the solution, but it's not practical. A better approach is we say, okay, one of us decides they're going to split the ice cream, but the other one decides which share of the ice cream they want. This asserts that the one who's doing the cutting is going to try their utmost to make sure that they are having a fair and just outcome because they know that if they uh, are disproportionate, they put way too much chocolate chips on one side or way too much ice cream on the other, it's going to be at their own detriment. And by having such systems in place, it makes sure that our bias with our sensitivity towards justice are balanced out. And this is when you have true justice, is when you have balance between both sides of the equation. Now, what's fascinating is we see 
there's this new movement in uh, uh, child development where they're trying to tell how do you get children to behave accordingly and also respect the consequences of their actions. Now, one approach is that the parent dictates what the consequence is if they fail to meet an action. So for instance, you tell a child, you say, look, if you don't finish your uh, homework assignment, then no show, you know, you don't get to watch Netflix uh, for a week. And the other approach is that you don't dictate the outcome, but you allow the child to decide what is the consequence for this outcome. Because in scenario A, where the parent is dictating what the consequence is, the child is going to cry foul. They're going to say, that's unjust. Uh, I can't believe that. This is, you're overblowing the situation. But in the second scenario, where the child is deciding what the consequence is, then they have to own up to it because it's their decision. They're the ones who set the terms. And we see both scenarios in Surah 12, where the individuals involved are setting the terms of what the consequence is. So in Surah 12, it's the story of Joseph. And in one story, we have the aspect of Joseph. He's so good looking that the governor's wife continuously tried to seduce him. And in one scenario, they almost came, uh, Joseph almost gave in to her seduction. And it starts in 1225. It says the two of them raced towards the door. And in the process, she tore his garment from the back. They found her husband at the door. She said, what should be the punishment for one who molested your wife except imprisonment or a painful punishment? So she's setting the groundwork. She's saying, look, this person was the one who's at fault. He tried to seduce me. I'm the innocent party. And by the way, the punishment should be imprisonment or something painful. Now, a more sensible approach towards this is you would say, Joseph, what should the punishment be if you're at fault? Wife, what should your punishment be if you're at fault? Then you would see who comes out with the right judgment. Because the wife, knowing that she's at fault, is going to say something less severe than Joseph knowing that he's innocent. We see the same scenario happen. Now the, the tables have turned and Joseph is in the upper hand. So Joseph is now the treasurer of Egypt. And his brothers, who left him for dead, who completely forsaken him, are there seeking provisions from him while they don't realize that it's Joseph. And during this affair, Joseph wanted to reclaim his brother, who he requested for them to bring. And we read in 1270, it says, When he provided them with their provisions, so this is Joseph providing the brothers with provisions, he placed the drinking cup in his brother's bag. Then an announcer announced, The owners of this caravan are thieves. They said as they came towards them, What did you lose? They said, we lost the king's cup. Anyone who returns it will receive an extra camel load. I personally guarantee this. They said, by God, you know full well that we did not come here to commit evil, nor are we thieves. They said, what is the punishment for the thief if you are liars? They said, the punishment, if it is found in his bag, is that the thief belongs to you. We thus punish the guilty. So here, the brothers are setting the term. They're so convinced of their innocence that they're saying, look, the punishment is we become your slaves. You own us. And this is way more severe than what the king's punishment would have been for a thief stealing the king's cup. But by doing so, this perfected God's blessing upon Joseph because Joseph's intent was to get possession of his brother. Now, his brothers 
said that the punishment of the one whose king's cup is in his possession belongs to you. So they have to own up to what they signed up for. And we see how this plays out. He then started by inspecting their containers before getting to his brother's container, and he extracted it out of his brother's container. We thus perfected the scheme for Joseph. He could not have kept his brother if he applied the king's law. But that was the will of God. We exalt whomever we choose to higher ranks above every knowledgeable one. There's one who is even more knowledgeable. So these individuals, they signed up for what their punishment was. So when it came out against their favor, there was no injustice. There was no crying about it. There was no claiming foul. They were the ones who said, this is what the punishment should be. Therefore, when it came out against their favor, they had to own up to the uh, responsibility. Now, what's interesting is the word that's used in this uh, uh, verse in 1276 in regards to the king's law. It says, Dini al-Malaki. What this translates into is the king's law. But the word deen is one of these multi-meaning words. The word deen means religion, and it also means law. And we see this in the expression yawmid deen, the day of judgment. Now, my takeaway from this is that the concept of religion is the metric by which we judge. If you want to know an individual's religion, you see what metrics by which that individual judges. As a submitter, we use the Quran as our source of judgment. But someone else might use their personal opinion, their ego, uh, some other metric. Or think about what is it that an individual values that they judge by. Some people value fame. Some people value status. Some people value uh, uh, looks. But as a submitter, what we value is righteousness. We value God. We value doing good deeds. And this is what differentiates a believer from a disbeliever is the metric by which we judge. Now, God tells us in the Quran that on the day of judgment, we are each going to be judged by ourselves. Each of us on that day is going to be its own judge. In 75, 12 through 15, and this is Surah, Resurrection, it says, To your Lord on that day is the final destiny. The human being will be informed on that day of everything he did to advance himself and everything he did to regress himself. The human being will be his own judge. No excuses will be accepted. We are going to be judged by how we judge others on the day of judgment. If we spend this life criticizing, being harsh, overtly stern with individuals who don't deserve it because we want that upper hand, that same metric is going to be used against us on the day of judgment. What makes this fascinating is individuals who abuse the Quran to oppress, to harm, to do foul towards others. They're going to be judged on that same metric against themselves. The individual who killed a baby girl because he wanted a boy is going to be judged by that same metric against themselves. Now, this makes you think, what metric is it by which you're judging others? Despite the fact that we are so good at identifying when injustice is served, by what metric are we using to make sure that our judgment is fair? In the Bible, in Matthew 7, it says, Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is an absolutely Quranic quote here. The metric by which we use to judge others is going to be held against ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean we don't judge. By God's leave, we judge. 
We are meant to judge. This book, this Quran, is called the statute book. It's the law by which we judge. But how we understand, how we interpret these verses, if we interpret them to be harsh and stern and aggressive and ill uh, towards others, that same metric is going to apply towards us on the day of judgment. In Surah 4, verse 105, it says, We have sent down to you the scripture truthfully in order to judge among the people in accordance with what God has shown you. You shall not side with the betrayers. God tells us in the Quran, in Surah 10, verse 57, it says, O people, enlightenment has come to you herein from your Lord and healing for anything that troubles your hearts and guidance and mercy for the believers. And in 1782, it says, We sent down in the Quran healing and mercy for the believers. At the same time, it only increases the wickedness of the transgressors. Individuals who try to abuse this Quran to extrapolate the worst of meanings, to justify tyranny and oppression, it's only going to come back to haunt them. And there's no getting around that. The aspect is that the day of religion, the day of judgment, this is the day by which we are going to be judged by the metric we used in this life. If we are interpreting these verses in a way that is unrighteous, we're not fooling anyone and we're going to pay the price on the day of judgment. Look at the examples we have in the Quran. The most glaring is that of Abraham, where God describes him as extremely kind and clement. What happened when Abraham was informed that God was going to wipe out the people of Lot, despite their numerous transgressions, despite of how despicable of individuals they were, Abraham argued on their behalf. And yes, he was at fault, but he erred on the side of kindness. He erred on the side of being too soft. Now, this is a choice we have. In one regard, we can apply the verses of the Quran with absolute no flexibility. That if someone does the slightest thing that we find contradictory to the Quran, to pounce on them, to, uh, to attack them, to be harsh and stern against them. Or we can give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe it was unintentional. And by doing so, all we're doing is we're easing the judgment upon ourselves. Because the metric by which we judge others is what is going to be held accountable towards us. Now what does it mean to have justice? This is something, the reason that we are so utterly terrible at defining what is just is because we don't have a concept of balance. To God belongs the most beautiful names. Some of these names that God uses to describe himself is the most gracious, the most merciful, the all-powerful, the omniscient, the omnipotent, the most just. But in addition, God is also the avenger. God is the one who stands up for the weak. God is the one who serves justice to all. How does God do this? God does this in perfect balance that he's able to discern with absolute precision what is the right remedy for any outcome. What is the right amount of justice for any scenario? Because no human being has the capability of knowing the backstory and all the details and everything that went to come into play. But God does. And by being able to balance all these varying aspects, how can you be most gracious and still be most just? How can you be the avenger and still be merciful? These things have to be in perfect balance with one another. And human beings, we sadly fail in this regard. But we have the example of David in the Quran. David was making a judgment regarding two brothers who came with a dispute. 
One brother owned 99 sheep while the other one owned one sheep. The one with 99 sheep wanted to consume that one sheep and make them partners. But Joseph said that he's being unfair to the brother with one sheep. And he sided in favor of the brother with one sheep. Now, despite the fact that Joseph had every chronic precedent in his judgment, despite all that, he still seeked forgiveness from God that maybe there was the slightest bit of internal bias on his part. Now, Joseph, who was so careful, so cautious to make sure he made the right judgment, are we taking that same level of consideration when we judge? Now, one tactic that algorithmically has proven to be the best approach towards dealing with others in a just manner is called tit-for-tat. Now, this works in an ideal world where if someone does you wrong, you do them wrong. If someone does you right, you do them right, and you reciprocate. But what they found out in the real world is that there's an extra element that has to be taken in consideration, and that's the benefit of doubt. That not do we only resort to tit-for-tat, but we give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe, just maybe, we misunderstood them. Maybe, just maybe, they had a bad day, and that wasn't the response we should hold them to. And we see this in the example again with Joseph. In Surah 12, verse 77, after the, the brothers were accused of uh, theft and they found the king's cup in his brother's bag, they responded, the brothers responded, they said, if he stole in regards to the brother that they found the cup in, so did a brother of his in the past. And it says, Joseph concealed his feelings in himself and did not give them any clue. He said to himself, you're really bad. God is fully aware of your accusations. Now, there's two ways one can read this uh, comment from the brother that he stole. If he stole, so did a brother of his in the past. One is in the sense that they're accusing Joseph of being a thief. They're saying that since this brother stole, then his brother in the past must have stole as well. The other way that they can interpret this is that they realize that Joseph was righteous. And this is actually a, uh, a response to say, no, this brother didn't steal. If he stole, so did a brother in his past in the sarcastic way that you're emphasizing that there's no way this brother stole. Now, the thing is, Joseph could have lashed out at them. Joseph could have turned against them. Joseph could have had every power to squash them, throw them in prison, do whatever he wanted with them. But he refrained because at the end of the day, let's say he meant ill with that comment. We have to realize that it's our duty to err on the side of being merciful, err on the side of being kind, because we're not going to win anything on the day of judgment if we're overtly harsh and cruel and unjust. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. I do my best to try to respond to all inquiries. Uh, if you guys like the podcast, please let others know. Leave us a review. Uh, let the word get out. And if you guys want to get a deeper understanding of the Quran, we have the Quran study app on the iTunes app store where we did a word for word breakdown of the Arabic where you can go and discover so many of these amazing, beautiful gems that God has placed in the Quran for us to learn and grow from. And if you don't have an iPhone, we also have the QuranStudyApp.com where we take the same content of the word-for-word -word translation. We put it there. We also have an amazing translation of the Quran uh, with a lot of information. And until next time, peace and God bless.